You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. We're going to dive into our session tonight. And last week, Kristen started a series called Celebrating Jesus in the Tabernacle, Celebrating Jesus in the Tabernacle. And if you've been um, in church at any length of time, you've probably heard something about the Tabernacle. You've probably heard something maybe even about the Temple, whether it's uh, Solomon's Temple or the rebuilding of the Temple. And all of this tracks back to uh, this original tabernacle that uh, God showed us in the Old Testament. And just for sake of, of understanding and resource, we're using a book as a resource called The Grace Blueprint, written by Lisa Taylor. And uh, it's called The Story of the Tabernacle. We're pulling a few things from it, but if you're looking for a resource, uh, this is a great one and is used as a textbook in Purpose Institute for the subject of the tabernacle. And our hope through this series is twofold. Our hope, number one, is for you to grow just in your understanding of the Word of God. You may have had a Bible study when you first became a believer and they talked about this tabernacle in the wilderness. But I think we're all better served when we understand important subject matter as it pertains to the Old Testament. Because when you read the New Testament, there are a lot of references, just as we learned when we did earlier this year, the celebrating Jesus in the feast. You realize that even Jesus's life and ministry centered around the feast, and so did his ministry center around the tabernacle. And ultimately, the, the tabernacle is mentioned over and over in the New Testament, the New Testament writings, different aspects of it are, are really uh, sprinkled throughout the New Testament. So our hope is that you would just grow in your simple understanding of the Bible because it will help you. And secondly, that you would ultimately see Jesus Christ clearer. Because when you understand the tabernacle, you see Jesus Christ and why he came and what he accomplished when he came. And, and there's so many parallels and so many things that you can point to and in the tabernacle to see Jesus Christ. So Kristen opened the series last week by emphasizing God's desire to dwell with humanity. So the, the, the main emphasis of the tabernacle was for God to dwell with humanity. And my message on Sunday was really built on this idea that God came to dwell. And what I emphasized on Sunday was that he came to cover us, that that dwelling place was actually a covering. So Exodus chapter 25, verse number eight says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And I think that's an important thing when we're talking about the tabernacle. God is emphasizing this idea of dwelling with his people. And so the tabernacle, though, was more than just some temporary dwelling place. In its entirety, and Lisa Taylor makes this reference, the tabernacle served as a divine object lesson. 
where materials and measurement, all right? So when you start reading the, the description in Exodus 25 through Exodus 31, there's, there's materials and there's measurements that are included. It's the divine object lesson where materials and measurement as well as form and function all point to a future fulfillment. And so form and function being the actual work of the priest and what they did. And so this form and function, this material and this measurement all points us to Jesus Christ. And God was giving us a picture of heavenly things. Heavenly things were, was the emphasis of the tabernacle. And so we're going to look at these measurements. We're going to look at the materials, the form and function tonight. And for the next uh, several weeks, we're going to look at this and really see all that God was doing in his design. Now, there's a few things right off the bat when you read Exodus 25. And I would encourage you over the next several weeks, read Exodus 25 through 31, because we're going to keep referencing these uh, particular passages. But you'll see numbers So literal numbers represented. So you'll see tonight we're going to read a passage about 70 elders. Well, then you'll see 70 elders in the New Testament or 70 where Jesus sent the 70 two by two. You'll see the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples. You'll you'll see different things like that where God is giving you a picture in the tabernacle of heavenly things. And then you'll see uh, uh, metals. We'll, we'll look at metals, the, the bronze that is on the outside versus the gold that's on the inside. You'll see colors of scarlet and purple and uh, different, different ways that it's, it's uh, created and symbols and, and angels and those kind of things woven into the fabric. All of this mirrored oftentimes in the New Testament, pointing us to what? Heavenly things, pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now, what I think is important with all of that, and it's if you're into that kind of thing, you like to see symbolism, you like that, uh, you can easily, like the feast, you can get down rabbit trails and different things that get real intricate. and, And what we have to be careful of Same thing in the book of Revelation. You have to be careful of of assigning meaning to something that God didn't intend for it to have that type of meaning or, or layering some kind of humanistic philosophy on top of the tabernacle. It really is pointing us to Jesus Christ at the end of the day. But there are layers. There are layers, just as we'll see layers in the tabernacle. There are layers of meaning and application that I think it is good to look at the different layers. But what I want to point out in this series and what we're trying to do is pointing out the ultimate objective of the tabernacle, and that's to bring us to Christ. It was to demonstrate who Christ was on the earth. And what I find fascinating is it is incredibly detailed. It's incredibly detailed. And so what does that say to us? That Christ coming on the earth was not some random act. It was very detailed in scope. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 24. We're going to read several passages tonight, and I hope you have your Bible if you can 
underline some things, maybe jot down some notes in the, the sidebar there. So Kristen mentioned this last week, but how do we get to God giving Moses the plan of the tabernacle? Well, the children of Israel come out of the Red Sea, and God takes them uh, to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and the passages preceding the ones that I'm going to read, this is where Moses and the 70 elders are on the mountain, and they begin to have fellowship with God. It's a very fascinating portion of Scripture. But then in Exodus 24, verse 12, says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. So he's, he's giving them, hey, I don't know how long this is going to be, but I'm going to be here a while. And if any problems arise, you guys handle it. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the garden. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I, I, again, I, I'm reflecting when I read that on Sunday's message, you realize the glory of God covered Moses. And when you read Exodus chapter 40, and we'll, we'll probably reference it next week, but Exodus chapter 40 outlines when they first set up the tabernacle, that the cloud covers the tabernacle. And from that point forward, the cloud would cover the tabernacle and let them know that God was present. And so God would give on this mountain Moses a very clear design. And so Exodus 25, verse 8, we read that, let them make, and God begins to speak to Moses, and he says, let, me, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so shall you shall make it, just so you shall make it. I love that idea that God said, I'm about to get really specific here. I'm about to give you some very specific details, and I expect it to be made exactly how I want it. Again, pointing to Christ, that it was very specific what God was going to do. And so we get, I want to start tonight, we're really going to just look at the master plan. What was the master plan of the tabernacle? And so the first thing we realize is that the life of the children of Israel is about to change significantly with the tabernacle. Now, think about it. They came out of Egypt. They're all just, I'll call them a big blob. They're just walking around, just walking around together. But God is about to say, I'm going to show up, and it's going to change how you actually even live. I'm going to give you places to live. You're going to have a certain way that you set up your life. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish myself as the center of your world. No longer are you just wandering, but I'm going to literally be the center 
of everything. Isn't that an awesome way to think about God? That God should be the center of everything. And I love in Numbers chapter 2, it describes this encampment. It, it, it describes it in a way where it gives you kind of how they were all set up and they had banners and they had flags to let them know where they were supposed to camp and where they were supposed to be in relationship to the tabernacle. And, and there was a certain group that was going to be on the east, a certain group on the west, a certain group on the north and on the south. No matter where they went, they always knew this is where you're supposed to set up camp. And we have banners to show you. But what I love about the setup is that when they set up their tents, God's very specifically told them, when you walk out of your tent, you should see the tabernacle. Your, your tent shouldn't face any other direction than towards the tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? That at the center of everything, when you wake up, and you walk out into your day, you are going to see my presence. I love that. And I think it calls on us in our lives to allow our lives to be lived in a way that Jesus Christ is the center of everything we do. And I think that we, we try to be careful of, of, of our time and, and, and uh, we are mindful, I know as a church, as a pastoral team, and have been for years of people's time and, and how much time do you have church? How many times? And Sister Varnum, you, you probably remember we probably had church more and probably should have church more than what we do. But I know I heard and we heard at uh, Popsy's funeral that church was on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, maybe we should try that. I don't know. No, we won't for now. But, but what I'm saying is that there's something about centering your life around the house of God. And I understand everybody has different ways of making this application for me growing up in Canton and in the home of a pastor, what this looked like for us was I could be in the middle of a baseball game on Wednesday night off the field in my uniform to make it to church because everything in our world centered around God. It centered around his his ideals in our life. And I think that's a great way to establish your life. I think that's a great way to, uh, to, to uh, really set your course. And so we see that, that encampment, the very encampment, not even getting into the tabernacle, we see that it was centered around God. God organized his people around his presence. Isn't that awesome? He organized his people around his presence. And so the tabernacle, then we get into the elements of the tabernacle, the master plan. You have the outer court, which uh, in this particular picture is inside of the white fence. Uh, so you'll see inside of the white fence is considered the outer court. And then the holy place, is, and there, you could say the inner court is divided into two sections, or there's, there's inside, there's the most holy place, then there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. And we'll kind of dive into that for just a second. But each, each segment, the outer court, the holy place, then the most holy place, as you move into it, 
you progress towards the presence of God. And when you get to the most holy place, that's where the visible power and presence of God would reside. And so when you see the furnishings, the furnishings represented that elaborate way of experiencing God. The the more beautiful it was, the closer you were to God. And I think that's a beautiful picture to understand when we talk about being in the presence of God. The outer court, it, it, it was nice, it had a few things to it, but it was nothing like as you walked in and you saw the gold walls and you saw the, the, the pillars that were set up and you saw the lampstand and the table of showbread and the altar of incense and then you walk into that most holy place or what we call the holiest of holies and that ark of the covenant that was so amazing and the mercy seat. And so we see God's design. So let's look at the outer court for just a second. So this is what would be the outer court. And this, I believe, is a life uh, size replica in Israel um, that they have set up that people can walk through. But The fence surrounding the tabernacle was a visible boundary. It was a visible boundary that created this outer court. It was constructed, uh, it was about 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. And uh, it was the place that if you were uh, pure, any Israelite could come in and bring their sacrifice. And then you have the, the brazen altar there and the brazen laver of water or bronze, the bronze altar and the bronze laver of water. It stood between you and the tabernacle or the sanctuary. And so you've got this outer court. Then there's the holy place, and God designed this main room of the sanctuary as a, as a place that uh, was more sacred than the outer court. It was not open to the public. Only the priests who had purified themselves could enter this space, but the holy place had three objects. I mentioned them, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the golden lampstand, and the golden altar of incense. And here they would light the golden lampstands every day, and once a week they would resupply the bread. Now we're going to walk through these pieces in more detail in the weeks to come, but I want to give you just an overview. And then you get into the most holy place. As I mentioned, it's also called the holiest of holies, or the holy of holies, was the room God designed specifically for the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And I'm going to show you a a short video that is going to kind of be a flyby of the tabernacle so you can kind of see what everything looks like as you're moving into it. So it would be about uh, three minutes or so. You can see the outer court. The gate is a very important part of the outer court. You've got the altar, the laver, the bronze. Some of this is uh, artistically created. Some of these specifics uh, are not in Scripture. 
There are four horns on the altar. You might read about that in Scripture. That's not a great place for a lamb to be, I'm just saying. Getting to the bronze laver where the priests would cleanse themselves both before and after. The height of the tabernacle was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, and 45 feet long. So there were the symbols of the angels on the veil. Those pillars, there were individual pillars that were set up. Twelve pieces of bread. Showbread. So the coals from the brazen altar were taken and used for the altar of incense, but it, it would have a distinct smell for the priest. There's very specific details about the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The angel's wings covered it and they faced each other and they looked down on the mercy seat. There were three things in the Ark and we'll, again, we'll talk about those things. But I think it gives you kind of an understanding of how the setup is. And uh, we're going to talk about the seven pieces of furniture. And you know that seven is the number of completion. There are seven pieces of furniture that we'll walk through. But the rest of my time tonight, I want to highlight just a few more elements as it pertains to the overall picture of the tabernacle. First, we, again, we come back to this idea of how detailed how detailed it is. And Exodus 25 through 31 reveals the meticulous design. And you've got the, when God reveals this design, he begins with the Ark of the Covenant. He begins with the Ark of the Covenant. And I think that's significant. And when you read the application in Exodus chapter 40, it begins with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Let me just jump down a small rabbit hole, and uh, hopefully it won't take too much time. But many times when you hear, and and you can use the term Ark of the Covenant as a piece of furniture, 
But in reality, it was two pieces of furniture inside the holiest of holies. The Ark of the Covenant was the container. It was the container without a lid. It was called the Ark of the Covenant or Ark of the Testimony. It contained that testimony. But then there was the mercy seat. This was a separate piece that was fabricated and created to sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. It's described in its own detail. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. Basically, it fits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark. And in the Ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And I think that's important. We'll probably talk about that later And uh, you have a sermon pending. I'll just tell you that on that concept. But understand that the mercy seat is a separate piece. Then you have the table of showbread, the golden lampstands. And I'm giving you them in order as Exodus 25 starts to outline them. The table of showbread. So the Ark of the Covenant, mercy seat, table of showbread, golden lampstands. Then he gets into the coverings and the tapestries. Then he goes to the brazen altar. Then he talks about the outer court. Then he gets very detailed about the lampstand oil. It's a certain type of oil. It was to be created in a certain way. Then in Exodus 28, he starts talking about the garments of the priest and and what that was to look like. And it's very detailed on what the priest should wear Uh, uh, how it should look, and it talks about their breastplate and an ephod and a robe in verse 4 and a tunic and a turban and a sash, very detailed. And verse number 1 of chapter 29 says, and this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priest, and it gives this whole description on how the priests are prepared to minister. So it was not enough that the actual place was detailed. He gave very specific details how you were to approach the place, how you were to handle and conduct the offerings. In verse chapter 29, you, it walks through the different offerings. And then he gets into the altar of incense. Then it gets into the offering shekel, and then the brazen laver, and then the anointing oil, which is very specific on how they were to anoint the priest and the utensils and everything that was going to happen. And then the incense oil. I love the incense oil because it was a very specific smell. In other words, no one else would ever mistake the incense oil for some other oil or fragrance. It had a very specific, if you could use this term, recipe on how it was to be created so that the priest knew always what it smelled like. Anybody have a cologne or perfume that you wear all the time and somebody walks by that might have that same fragrance and you recognize it? That was what God was doing. And I love the tabernacle plan, too, because it involves all of the, all of the senses. It's, it's a, a fully sensory experience for the priest and that incense. So many details. And I, I think it's important that we understand that God is obsessed with the details here. And then we consider the order of 
order of things. Let me just add a couple things here. And I alluded to this in January when I talked about the tabernacle. But there are two ways that we can view the tabernacle, two perspectives in the order of things. And I think both of them are valid. Both of them uh, are important. The first is to view it through the lens of men. How did they experience the tabernacle? They experienced it by starting outside of the outer court, walking into the outer court. What are they doing? They're going towards the presence of God. And so it's the brazen or the bronze altar, then it's the laver, then you get into the showbread and then the candlestick and then the altar of incense, then you get into the holiest of holies, you get into the presence of God where the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat are. That's man's approach to God. But that's not how God gave the order of things because that's not God's approach to us. His begins with the Ark of the Covenant. And he works his way out towards man. And that's important, I think, when you're reading the Ark of the Covenant and you're understanding that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was going through, he was fulfilling all of the law. Why? To get to us. See, we realize we're trying to get to God. But we also have to realize God was trying to get to us. God was trying to get to humanity through the tabernacle. I think that's an important thing and a beautiful thing to think about. Finally, let's consider the building team. Who is responsible for putting this all together? First, there's the designer and architect. Who, who put this together? And we understand that's God. Exodus 25, we read it already, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of its furnishings. Do it the way that I need it to be done. He's the designer, the architect. Kristen mentioned this last night or last week, and I think it's valid that Moses, where, where does he fall in all of this? Well, he's the general contractor. He's the one just pointing people everywhere. He's kind of... The mediator, right? He's the one that heard it from God, had it written down, then threw it down and broke it, had to go back up and get it, brought it back down, and then he's got to instruct. Imagine the pressure on Moses here. He's got to instruct in great detail how they're going to craft this. Where did the supplies come from? So you're talking about the building team. Who's, who's providing this? There's gold, there's fabrics, there's skins, there's all this stuff. Well, Exodus chapter 25, I want us to read it. Exodus 25, verse number one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed in red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, ox, 
uh, stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it. I, I, I love this element. How did these former slaves become so wealthy? And most of you know the answer to that question. Because we realize they didn't find these things in the wilderness. The answer is they got it from Egypt. On their way out of slavery, their former taskmasters had given the Israelites their household riches. And the children of Israel dedicated this wealth of Egypt to building God's sanctuary. And every morning, Moses received the goods from the sanctuary, and he began to distribute them to those who were going to make it. And we'll read in Exodus chapter 40, where at one point, he says, we've got too much. The people had given so much that it was beyond what they needed. They had enough to build what was needed. The people's generosity was an indication of their pure hearts and single purpose in serving God. And so, again, when we look, about, look at the details, I also find it interesting that in Exodus chapter 38, Moses, this general contractor, this leader, kept very detailed records of everything that came in and everything that was used. Moses handled this business with humility and accountability and diligence because ultimately he realized that for God to dwell with humanity, God was going to rely on humanity. And I think that's an amazing concept for us to realize. So who built the tabernacle? God could have built it. God could have created it. He could have called it into existence, but he didn't. A man by the name of Bitzal Al, Bitzal Al, I should say, Bitzal Al. God gives this plan to Moses. The people give the supplies. But there's this man that God anointed in artisan, in craftsmanship, metalworking, fabricworking. They had to measure, they had to melt down, they had to mold, mold the details. Think about building a house or building even this building. What we're doing across the street, what we're trying to do in Oxford, those kind of building projects, those are, those are detailed, lots of details. But here's what we don't have to do. We don't have to make the supplies. We don't have to make the materials. We just order them. We just... Ask somebody to bring them to us, and then we put it together. But God anointed this man and a team of people to do his work. Buy the material, or to make the material, put it together. And then, oh, by the way, the detail had to be such that they could tear it down and then put it back together again. And so this last passage, I want to read Exodus chapter 31. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name. It's Al-El, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanships. And I have indeed, I have appointed with him a a group of people, verse 7, the tabernacle, that they may make all that I have commanded, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table, its utensils, the gold lampstands, the utensils, the altar of incense, the, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the labor, its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments of Israel, the priest, the garments for his sons to minister as priests, the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded, they shall do. God had a plan, a very detailed plan, and God anointed them. And I would say that God anoints us to this day. Jesus Christ came into the world to allow us to live anointed lives to accomplish his work in the world. And you and I have been anointed. We need each other to accomplish God's work in the world. And so for just two minutes, I want you to talk to somebody next to you. And I want you to talk about this. What aspect of the layout of the tabernacle is most meaningful to you in your spiritual Life. What aspect of the layout of the tabernacle is most meaningful to you in your spiritual life? So think about that flyby, right? All those different elements, all those different things, whether it was the, the outer court, the most holy place, the, the holy place. What's, what is meaningful to you in your spiritual life? I'll give you just a couple minutes. We understand the tabernacle is very rich in application, and it is uh, just a powerful glimpse into God's working in our life, and we can gain a lot of spiritual understanding, and I pray spiritual strength in your life when you understand how God works with man and how God reaches for man through his presence. Scripture tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We tabernacle his presence. And here's what I feel to say to you tonight, that just as detailed as God was about that place of his presence, and he had very specific things he wanted, I would say in 
your life and my life that God cares about every detail. He understands how we're made. He understands our frame, but he cares about every detail. And ultimately, what does he want out of our life? That we would tabernacle his presence. That every piece of furniture, every element of the tabernacle would be present in our life. And by doing that, we would live a life fulfilled and meaningful to those around us. And I believe that people can see and experience the presence of God, not when we live our own way, not when we live just however we feel, but a holy God invites us to his holiness and his righteousness. Why? Because that's how his presence moves out into the world. People don't need to see you. They don't need to see me in my flesh and my carnal thinking and my intelligence. They need to see a holy God in me. I want you to stand with me tonight. Because God has a way. He came to earth in flesh, came to earth to dwell with us. And just as there was a clear way for God the children of Israel to experience God's presence, John said, or Jesus said in the book of John, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is in the tabernacle. He is represented everywhere in the tabernacle. I want to pray for us tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we can look into your word. God, even when we are trying to understand, Lord, everything there is to understand about the tabernacle, Lord, in in the reality of it, Lord, you went to such detail to design it because you wanted us to know that you had a very clear plan and a very clear purpose, that you, God, did not come randomly You do not see us randomly, but you have a clear purpose for us. God, in your spirit, desires to dwell in us. God, let us be a tabernacle for your glory. Let us be a temple for your glory. God, I pray every element of the tabernacle be represented in us. God, so that people can find you and know you in all your power and all your glory. And God, I pray you would cover us with your glory. Let the cloud of your presence overshadow us so people will be able to experience you. Find freedom in you and hope in you. Thank you for your deliverance, Lord, in our lives. Thank you for the freedom that we find in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said amen. All right. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.